0: Ka-ta-ta-ta. So as you can see, we're kicking off a summer series this morning. We're going to look at the one another's in the New Testament. If you don't know, there uh, is about a hundred occurrences of the pronoun one another in the New Testament. Now rest easy, we're not taking a hundred weeks, uh, but there are, are certain ones that are repeated and so this whole summer long we're going to be unpacking the New Testament on what it says about the one another's. To get our juices flowing, to get our minds engaged, our hearts warmed, I'm going to give you a pop quiz related to this whole topic that is before us. Question number one. What would you say is the most effective means of drawing people to faith in Jesus Christ? Question number one. Question number two. What would you say people outside of the church are most looking for in us as they watch us? Question number three. What would you say is the greatest hindrance to the kingdom of God coming on earth as it is in heaven? Question number four. What would you say is the clearest litmus test as to whether or not somebody is a true follower of Jesus Christ? In other words, what would you say is the distinguishing mark or characteristic of a Christ follower? Number five, what does the New Testament reveal as the most powerful Reflection of the risen Christ to the watching world. Grading this test is really simple. There's only one answer to all five questions. And the answer has to do with whether or not we love one another. Loving one another is the distinguishing characteristic, according to John 13 and Jesus Christ, of what it means to be a Christian. Loving one another is the one thing that if we fail to do, Christ will be hidden from view. Loving one another is the greatest missional force in the world. So turn in your Bibles to John 13. We're going to look at John 13, 34, and 35, where Jesus reveals us. Now, before we read the text, I want you to ask yourselves, how do you think we're doing in this priority of Christ? You know, Jesus is, is about ready to leave, to go to the cross, and then, of course, He's going to leave the disciples for good, except for the power and presence of His Spirit. And what he's doing in John 13 is he's leaving the church's marching orders from the time he rises until the time he returns at the end of the age. Jesus has a longing that his people love one another. So, how are we doing? All through the history of the church, There have been factions, there have been schisms, especially of late, right? The world sees Christians divided, even at each other's throats, breaking fellowship. If you know anything about church history, uh, a, a huge, momentous event occurred in 1054 A.D., It's called the Great Schism. It's called the Great Schism because the church world literally splintered in half. You had the Roman church, which was the Latin church, which was the church of the West, the Catholic church, split from the Eastern church that became the Orthodox church that became more of the Greek church. Now, do you know what significant issues caused the great schism? You're not going to believe this. Whether we should use leavened or unleavened bread at the Lord's Supper. Now, that is something to go after somebody's throat over, isn't it? Whether or not clergy should be allowed to marry. Whether the leader of the church on earth should live in Rome or should live in Constantinople, Istanbul. Whether the leader of the church should be the Pope or the Patriarch. Now, If that seems crazy to you, and I hope it does, think about the crazy things that divide us in our day. By the way, this is nothing new. Within 20 years of Jesus speaking the words we're about to read, Paul wrote a letter to the church in Corinth in Greece. And in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 12, Paul writes, There are divisions and factions among you. Some of you say, I am of Paul. Others of you say, I am of Apollos. Still others say, I am of Cephas or Peter. And Paul, with incredulous response, says, Has Christ been divided? And too often, sadly, the answer is yes. He has. Later on in 1 Corinthians, Paul gives the antidote to division and schism and factionism. Many people use it in weddings, and that's okay, but it really wasn't meant for weddings. It was meant for right here, right now. The church gathered together. These three remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Now, it is so important that we look, as we look at love one another to kick off our series, you understand Jesus is not here talking about general love. Jesus is talking about a very particular kind of love. He's talking about love for one another in the church among Christians. In John 17, as Jesus prayed to the Father before going to the cross, this was on his heart, that Christians... His people would love one another. Let's all stand out of reverence for God's Word. Follow along with me as I read just two verses, John 13, 34 and 35. This is God's Word. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Three times in two verses, love one another. This is God's inspired, infallible, inerrant, and authoritative word. He gave it to us because He loves us, but He also gave it to us because He wants us to learn how to love one another. Let's pray. God, we ask that You would melt our hearts, melt our hearts with Your love, melt our hearts toward each other, melt our hearts toward Christians outside of this local community right here, right now. Melt our hearts, Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. What gets you fired up today? In our day, what makes you pound the table? What, What gets the blood flowing? What gets the veins getting ready to pop? No matter what issue you may think about today that is on the hot burner, It's nothing compared to this commandment. Jesus is as serious about the commandment to love one another as he is about any commandment there is. Does it have that place in your life? I know it doesn't always in mine. Three guidelines that Jesus lays out in this text as John records it that calls us to love one another. First of all, love one another just as you have been commanded, right? This this is clearly a command in this text. John 13, 34, Jesus says it, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. And he gives the command three times in rapid-fire succession, See, Jesus is not merely our Savior. He's our King. He's our Master. He's our Lord. He's our Ruler. And our King commands us as His subjects to love one another. Now, I want you to go a little bit beyond the command. Where do commands come from? They come from the heart. God is commanding us to love one another because that is what's most on His heart. Again, read John 17 sometime this week. Our love for one another is on God's heart. And that's why God commands us to love one another. Loving one another delights the heart of God. Failing to love one another grieves the heart of God. Of God. Don't look at this as a mere command. Look at it as a revelation of the very heart of God. The tense of the verbs, to love one another, are all in the continual tense. Keep on continually loving one another all the time, constantly, 24-7. When it is convenient and when it is inconvenient. When it is hard, when it is easy, when it is costly. All the time we are to love one another. In verse 34, when Jesus says, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another, you need to know that's a verb that's in the emphatic form. In other words, a verb in the Greek by itself can say you are to love one another. If you add a you to the already verb that says you, Jesus is saying this, you yourselves, you guys, all of us, we are to love one another. Jesus is being very clear that each one of us without exception are to be caught up with loving one another. Now sadly, we often minimize this, don't we? Or we overlook it. We throw ourselves some rope when it comes to this. But Scripture doesn't throw us a rope. Scripture commands us over and over and over and over, to love one another. I just pulled together just the love one anothers of the New Testament. John 15:17, "These things I command you so that you will love one another." Romans 12:10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. And this is His commandment, that we believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He commanded us. And now I ask you, dear lady, dear lady means the church, the local congregation, I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. How do you suppose the New Testament repeats it over and over and over and over? Because we tend to forget it or minimize it again and again and again and again. We are self-centered, insecure human beings, even in Christ. And whenever our righteousness gets threatened by being on a different side of an issue... Wanting to guard our own sense of rightness rather than gaining our righteousness from Christ, who imparts and imputes his righteousness to us, we try to create our own sense of righteousness by being right. And that's when it gets ugly. And can I just tell y'all how ugly I've seen it in my life over the years? Look, I, I have had tension from time to time. With pastors in our own denomination. Now, you do realize that the PCA, our denomination, and I'm not boasting here, I'm just laying out facts. The Presbyterian Church in America is probably the single most monolithic believing denomination in the world. Doctrinally, theologically, and biblically, there is not a paperwits difference between anybody in our denomination. Our view of Scripture, our view of Reformed theology, our view of what it means to be covenantal, our view of the sacraments, our view of the Westminster Standards, they're, they're, I promise you, there's not a denomination out there that is more singularly on the same page as the pastors of our denomination. And yet, just like the great schism, we can sit there yelling at each other over whether we're supposed to use leavened or unleavened bread. Now, thankfully, we don't yell about that. But there are things that we differ on, like, what are we supposed to emphasize as critical to the Christian life. How are we to apply the Bible and the Reformed faith to living in the world? There are things like that that we can discuss, but the problem is it so quickly becomes personalized. And whenever anything takes precedence over our commitment to Christ... It leads to division. And so the past few weeks in particular, I've been deeply repenting over what an unloving heart I can have. Particularly, it was the passing of Tim Keller, one of my heroes of the faith. You see, Tim didn't respond relationally the way the world does. (laughs) Tim didn't respond relationally the way the church often does getting our cues from talking heads on the television or from blowhard politicians or from the attitudes on social media. No, Tim Keller got his cues relationally from Jesus and the command to love one another. And no matter how Tim Keller, and by the way, probably the most influential Christian of the past 100 years. And no, I'm not forgetting Billy Graham. Probably the most influential Christian of the last 100 years in the world, not just America. But when people attacked Tim, he always responded in grace. When he did have debates with others, he was always kind. and he never wanted to break fellowship. And since his passing, I realized more than ever just how unlike Jesus I am. How about you? Where do you need to repent when it comes to failing to love one another? When it comes to minimizing the command of Jesus that Christians love one another. By the way, a rigorous application of the will to try harder is not going to cut it. It has to begin with acknowledging your failure. God opposes the proud, He gives grace to the humble. It has to begin with acknowledging how unloving we are. Present tense and repenting, and crying out in need, and saying, oh Jesus, unless you change me, I just will not follow your command. And then stepping on a new hope in the gospel, love one another. It's the heart of God, folks. It is the heart of God. It is the way God will use as a magnet to draw the lost to Christ. Do you believe that? Do you believe the most untapped power for evangelism and missions in the world is the world seeing Christians loving one another? Jesus clearly says it is. By this, all people will know you're my disciples, if you have love one for the other. Secondly, don't just love as we've been commanded, but love one another just as you've been loved. Verse 34, just as I have loved you, or exactly as I have loved you, you also, you yourselves, every one of you without exception, you yourselves are to love one another just as you've been loved. Let me ask you how you've been loved by Jesus undeservedly, unconditionally, sacrificially, at great cost. And God loves you for your very, very best and your highest good. That is the just as. Love one another just as, exactly like you are loved. Think about your lives. Think about just the garbage in them. Think about the failures we experience on a regular basis. Think about how wrong you've been on various issues. Think about the sin patterns in your lives. That habitual sin that no matter how hard you try, you just don't seem to get over. Do you realize that Jesus loves you just the same? right as you are, right where you are. And guess what? If you get better, He's not going to love you more than He already does. You see, we don't wait for people to get better to love them. Even if we think we are right. Remember, you are never in more danger of being most wrong than when you are most right. You are in never in more danger of being unloving than precisely when you are most right. The whole context of John 13 I've waited to bring up until now is foot washing it's an ancient tradition. People had open-toed shoes, sandals. The streets were filthy with all kinds of garbage and other things that we need not talk about. And it was the role of the, the lowest level of servant to wash the feet of people as they came in. Jesus, in John 13:1, knowing He was going to the Father wrapped a towel around himself and took a basin of water and he washed all the disciples' feet. And then he said, I've given you an example that as I have done to you, you're to do to one another. Love one another. That's where this comes from. Love one another. It follows the foot washing But Jesus goes on to explain that the foot washing is not merely physical, though we are, in fact, to engage in that kind of servanthood to love each other well. Jesus is saying this foot washing is symbolic that I'm going to cleanse your whole body. I'm going to cleanse your soul. I'm going to cleanse you from sin at my own cost. I'm going to absorb all the wrong Against the Father that you've committed. You ever wonder why it says a new commandment? the command to love one another is not new. It's all throughout the Old Testament. So why is it new? Because now we have the full expression of the standard. So we can always talk ourselves into thinking we've loved each other. Jesus says, okay, let me give you a new commandment. Look at the crucifixion, the way I've loved you, and now love one another. What's interesting is there's two Greek words for new. One is, is the word neos. It's where we get the English word Neo. Like neo-fundamentalist, neo-conservative, neo-liberal, neo-sadly Nazi. It doesn't mean brand new. It, I mean, it means brand new. It's, it's a new form of something that previously is unknown. Brand new. New in origin. That's not the word used here. The other Greek word is kainos. Kainos doesn't mean new in origin, but new in quality. Jesus is saying, I'm giving you a command that's unlike any command you've ever received before, even though you've heard it before. Because I'm calling you to love one another with keeping in mind the standard of me dying for you. This is a whole new commandment as far as quality. It is so much better than anything you've heard before. Not only that, it's new because it comes out of the new covenant, which means that we have the Holy Spirit in a way the Old Testament church did not. We have a new capacity, a new power source to fulfill the commandment to love one another. So, Jesus saying a new commandment, a new quality of command I'm giving you, a new quality because you have a new picture, a new quality because you have a new power. Love one another. 1 John 3.16, this is how we know what love is, what it looks like. How? Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Love as you have been loved. Steve Brown is another pastor that I became very fond of, especially when I was in seminary and studying for the ministry. Steve Brown is an incredible communicator of grace. And he told the story once of Jimmy Durante. Remember Jimmy Durante? Sort of comedian, big nose, sings a little bit, rasp, uh, raspy voice. And Jimmy Durante, as Steve Brown tells it, stood up one day and uh, talked about a guy he didn't like. And he said, I couldn't warm up to that guy if we were cremated together. <laughs> Steve Brown went on to say, that may be true, but if you were crucified together, you might have a shot at it. If you know Christ, we've been crucified together with Him. We are His body. Literally, we are His body. You ever hammered your own thumb? I have. Don't recommend it. When we fail to love one another as we've been loved, you're not only hammering your own thumb, you're not only hammering the thumb of the person you're failing to love, you're hammering the very thumb of Christ Himself. When we fail to wo- love one another, we are kicking Jesus in the shin with spikes. See, this is Jesus' deepest longing. That we love one another. We're to reflect to the world that Jesus is real by our love for one another. Love just as you've been commanded. Love just as you've been loved. And thirdly and finally, love one another just as you have been inspired. Again, how inspirational is verse 35? By this all people will know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Christ inspires us to impact the world by inspiring the world through how we love one another. But how are we to be inspired to know what it looks like to love one another? Well, through the inspired word. I said the one-anothers occurs almost 100 times in the New Testament, and this is why we're covering this one-another first. All the other one-anothers in the New Testament flow out of and describe and delineate very aspects of what it means to love one another. All of the one-anothers are related to loving one another. They're different manifestations of loving one another. You know, learning science says that the more senses you use, the better you'll learn. I learned early on as a Christian, the best way to memorize scripture is read your bible the verse you want to memorize. Then you know what you do? You read in the bible out loud what you just read silently. Then you know what you do? You take up a pen and you write out the verse that you read silently and read out loud. Then you know what you do? You pick up the card and you read out loud what you just wrote on the card. And before you know it, you're memorizing Scripture. Learning science says the more senses you use, the better you learn. Sight, touch, sound, speech, posture. So I'm going to close us a little differently than usual. I've recorded the one another's without repeating them. I've recorded them and put them on a slide. This may seem a little hokey to y'all, but just go with it, okay? We are going to use learning science, but more importantly, the power of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to use our posture, our speech, our ears, our eyes, and we are going to learn together and proclaim together and recite together the one-anothers. So if you're able, stand with me. And we're going to. You do don't have to read the, the, the reference, but we're going to read all these one-anothers together to close our time. Ready? Be devoted to one another. Honor one another. Live in harmony with one another. Build up one another. Be like-minded towards one another. Accept one another. Admonish one another. Greet one another. Care for one another. Serve one another. Forgive one another. Be patient with one another. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Submit to one another. Look to the interests of one another. Bear with one another. Teach one another. Comfort one another. Encourage one another. Exhort one another. Stir up one another to love and good works. Show hospitality to one another. Employ the gifts that God has given us For the benefit of one another, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, pray for one another, confess your faults to one another. Now, I want you to take a second. How do you need to repent? as you're inspired by all those one another's being simply a reflection of what it means to love one another. Where are you failing? Where might you be crossing the line into sin? Go ahead and take a seat. You see, this is, this is where we realize we need the gospel, right? Right? Don't commit adultery. I mean, some people fare there too, and there's forgiveness. But most of us don't commit murder. Yeah, some. And there's forgiveness. Most of us love one another. Okay. Not one of us is not guilty of that. Not one. You all may recall Life Magazine. It was photojournalism. It's a magazine carried on for almost 100 years, and it used pictures with very little text. But it was a powerful magazine. I remember reading through it when I was younger. You'll still find it on grocery store shelves on a special edition basis. In the late 1960s, there was a picture story in one of the Life magazine issues. It's a picture story with four frames. In the first frame, there was a country house. Sun was going down. And you could see the front door opening. Little boy on his way down the steps. Heading out to wheat fields surrounding his home. Second frame, it's almost nightfall. You see scores of people frantically running here and there looking for the child as it gets dark. Third frame, you find all the people standing together as one person holding hands to systematically walk through the field looking for the child. Fourth frame, a grieving father carrying the limp body of his dead son. And underneath the fourth frame are the only words in the entire picture story. If only we'd had joined hands sooner. If only. The impact of the church of Jesus Christ, Jesus says, is related to whether or not the church Loves one another. Elders love one another. Deacons love one another. Women shepherds love one another. Under shepherds love one another. Staff love one another. Congregation. Love one another. May we all be inspired through this series of what it means to love one another and see the world go jaw-dropping, running to the church because they see Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank You uh, for Your Word. And God, I'm stunned by how huge this one another is in Scripture and how really all of one another's point to this one. And God, I'm also stunned at the power of loving one another. And so, Lord, this morning, if there's anybody here that doesn't know Jesus, I I pray, we pray together that, that just by hearing about what it might look like for Christians to love one another, they'd be drawn to Christ, and today would be the day of their salvation. Father, for the rest of us, please soften us. Please lead us to repentance. Please enable us not to get our cues from our culture on how to treat each other. God, lead us to repentance. Help us to understand how much we're loved, even in our failure. And help us to love as we've been loved. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand to hear the benediction. The promise that God's love and grace is upon us in Christ so that we can leave this place loving one another. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Abba Father and the fellowship and transforming power of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. Amen.